Well, many of you have had the privilege, at least I think so, of meeting my mother. Um, she's with us from time to time. And when Mama was a little girl, my grandparents always, with the exception of maybe one time, vacationed in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. That's just what they did. I don't understand it exactly. They, they made one wild hair trip to Florida, but their place was Gatlinburg. Stayed in the same place, stayed at the same restaurants. That's what they did. Mama was an only child, and so that's, that's what they did. During one of their summertime trips, Mama was playing there in the Pigeon River and just having a great time, and she was hopping from rock to rock, just as carefree as she could be. And all of a sudden, my grandmother said firmly and clearly, Suzanne, come back to me right now, without giving a reason. Now, how would you have responded? Let's, let's start with the adults. How would you have responded as a child in the middle of the river, if your mom and dad are, had, had said that, just no, no explanation, you need to stop and come back to me right now. Why? I mean, I would have probably been like, but why, mama? And stood there waiting for her to give me a good reason. I mean, I'm on vacation and I'm harmlessly rock hopping in the river in Gatlinburg. What's the problem, right? Now, parents, how would your kids have responded to that? <laughs> mm, yeah, right? Same, same deal, at least a why. Some may have gone to the next rock and then ask why. I don't know. Well, thankfully, Mama was an obedient little girl who simply listened and received her mother's instructions easily and quickly and obeyed immediately. By the way, kids, that's the only way to obey. Easily, quickly, and without delay and without question. Amen, parents? That was a parenting lesson. It's important. It's the only kind you should accept, parents. It's the only kind you should give kids. Anything less, kids, is disobedience. Mom and daddy, anything less, is disobedience. And you need to correct it now when they're this high. You didn't pay for that this morning, but that was free. <clears throat> I've raised six. Trust me, it works. All right. You see, there was... A good thing, it was a good thing Mama was obedient because there was a water moccasin. Under the very next rock that Mama was headed toward, that Mama couldn't see, and, and yet Grandma did. And had she not stopped and turned and moved, she'd have been on the next rock. And I don't know what would have happened. My grandmother tells it like she would have, it was certain death. I mean, my grandmother told that story a hundred times. She made sure my kids heard that story about their own, own obedience. I mean, it was an important part of our family parenting process. Grandma would have died had she jumped on the next rock. I don't know. Maybe she just scared the snake worse than the snake would have scared her. But the bottom line is she was obedient. She listened and she did what she was told to do, and it saved her a potential problem. I want to talk to you this morning about listening to God. We're going to be in James chapter 1 as we continue our study in this letter. The, the bigger series we've entitled Practical Grace, the only real kind. And, and we're contrasting Galatians, where we talked about radical grace, the only real kind, with the other side of the same coin, James practical grace, the only real kind. You see, grace is so radical 
that if you don't understand that your salvation rests only and, and always on Jesus, if you, don't, if you don't fully understand, if you think you've got anything to do with the basis of your standing before a holy God, then you don't get how radical the grace of God in Jesus is. But on the flip side, having embraced the gospel, if grace doesn't change your life and practically affect your life, then you don't get what Jesus has done in his death and resurrection for you because he didn't die just to pay sin's penalty. He rose to overcome sin's power and give you a new life. And so grace, the gospel, is both radical and practical all at the same time. It's all about what Jesus has done, but it doesn't leave me the same. It doesn't leave you the same. It changes us. Because as we've talked about in the past, when we trust Jesus, who comes to live in us? Kids, help me out. Your parents are slow. <laughs> who comes to live in us? Jesus by the Holy Spirit, right? Well, just think about that. It makes a whole lot of sense to say this, doesn't it? If, the, if, if Jesus himself, by the Spirit of God, is living in you, is he just going to hang out and not do anything in your heart and your life? I mean, that doesn't even make sense, does it? And so he changes us. Here's the take-home for you today. Talk about listening to God. And here's the thing. Listening to God is hard, but crucial in tough times. We've been talking about, in James 1, the, this, the con- whole context of this first chapter is trials. Various trials, as, as James puts it, that God either allows or causes to come into our lives. James has told us we're to count those trials joy because they're really tests of our faith that make our faith stronger. That's God's design in our trials. And so here, we, as we think, continue to think about that context, we're talking about listening to God. And what we're saying is that listening to God is hard, but it's crucial, especially in the tough times. Listen to the text from James chapter 1, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why, James? Why is that the, the, the deal? Why those three things? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save I'll see you later, which can change you. Listening to God is hard, but James says it's crucial, especially, it's always true, but especially in the tough times. The New King, King James Version has this a little different. I want to read the text again from the New King James. Here, in, in this translation, there's a, there's a, a difference in the, in, in the text, and it says, So then, my beloved brethren, so then, where did that come from? What does that do? When you read those words at the beginning of this passage, so then... Well, there's some kind of reference backward, right? He's looking back to verse 18. And if we were to read verse 18, verse 18 says that he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. I do believe the New King James has, has it right and does a better translational job there when it says, so then. Because we've been born by the word of truth so that we might become a kind of first fruits of all that he created, that, that, that there's, there's, some, there's some things that need to result from that. So then, 
my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The short version is this. We need God to be our guide through tough times. Amen? Do you need God to be your guide during tough times? This, is, this would be yes. We're just going to raise by the uplifted hand, as the preachers used to say, right? Can you lift your hand? Yeah. We all need God to be our guide. And we can hear his voice through his word. The word that has been implanted in us. We'll talk about it more later, but that's the same word of truth from verse 18. It's the gospel by which we've been saved. It takes up residence along with the Holy Spirit in our hearts when we trust Jesus. So the question this morning is how? How do we listen to God? I've got five things for you this morning fairly quickly. In order to listen to God, we must, are you ready? I'm just going to go through all five. You, you'll have time, we'll go back through these, so here it is. In order to listen to God, we must speed up our ears, slow down our mouths, slow down our anger, clean out our ears, and take in God's Word. Now, if you can figure out those five things and get that practical in your life, then you'll be a good listener to God through His Word. First of all, we need to speed up our ears. I tried to think how to do an object lesson about this today. And as I thought about it, what, I, what came to mind, and this just tells you the, the cartoon character brain I have, what came to mind, none of you would have volunteered for. I, couldn't even, I probably could not have even convinced a teenager to do this. But what I wanted at this point, what I wanted is for someone to be dressed up as a huge ear and run into the sanctuary. So get that cartoon in your mind. Speed up our ears. The text says, be quick to listen. Be quick to listen. The story has been told of a new commander who was sent to an army fort on the American frontier. He soon was involved in a conference with an important Indian chief. Working through a translator, he nervously asked the chief a, a number of questions and was surprised to get no reply, nothing, silence. After the meeting, the new commander asked the translator why he'd got no response. He asked him what was going on with the Indian chief. Had he made him mad? What, what was the deal? And the translator replied, that's what we call Indian time. He has enough respect for your questions to go away and think about them before answering them. Maybe we all need to practice a little more Indian time. Amen? James says, be quick to listen. But we struggle with that, don't we? On Wednesday nights, it's interesting, James has been called the Proverbs of the New Testament. On Wednesday nights, in case you didn't know, Larry Mullinax is leading a Bible study in Proverbs in the Old Testament. And oddly enough, Larry and I didn't plan this, but this last Wednesday night, they were talking about the tongue. And here we are in James, the New Testament version. In Proverbs 18, verse 13, it says this, to answer before listening, that is folly and shame. And yet, how many times in a given week do I answer before I listen? How many times in a given week do you not even hear the rest of the question and you're already answering? Oh, we need to speed up our ears. We need to be quick to listen. 
someone wrote this little poem. His thoughts were slow, his words were few and never formed to glisten, but he was a joy to all his friends. You should have heard him listen. It'll be about 3 o'clock before the kickoff that some of you get that, but suffice it to say, not many of us are ever heard doing much listening, right? I'm guilty of doing a whole lot of talking, not enough listening. We must learn to speed up our ears so that we can listen to God. Be quick to listen. Now, this applies to our relationships with other people, doesn't it? But specifically in this context, the picture is be quick to listen to God, as we'll see in a minute. I would argue that there's a connection between the two. Over in John's letters, he says, if you love God, you love people. If you say you love God, but you don't love people, then you don't love God. There's a connection. And so even how we interact with people has a whole lot about how we interact to do with how we interact with God. And if I'm not a good listener to you, I'm, I'm probably not going to be a good listener to God. If I think when I'm talking to you that, that I've got something more important to say than you, then chances are when it comes to me listening to God, I, I, I'm still going to think I'm, I'm more important and my opinions are more primary than, than his word. Just kind of follow. Secondly, this morning, we need to not only speed up our ears, we need to slow down our mouth. Be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. Apparently, this is a true, a true tale. On a windswept hill in an English country churchyard stands a drab gray slate tombstone. The faint etchings read... Beneath this stone, a lump of clay, lies Arabella Young, who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue. (sighs) I hope it can't be said of us when we die. Today's the first day they shut up. Today's the first day Chad Kelly learned how to hold his tongue and be quick to hear and slow to speak. Proverbs ten nineteen says, Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. My mother quoted that verse to me growing up from the Living Bible, and, it, and, and, and the way it went in the Living Bible was, where words are many, sin is not absent. And what she was telling me is, son, the more you talk, the worse it gets. The more you run your mouth, the deeper in trouble you're going to get. And it's true. Sin is not ended by multiplying words. Sin might be ended by turning off the valve. Amen? James 1.26, and we'll look at this in a few weeks, so no no in-depth deal here, but those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues... What does James say? They deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. If you think you've got something good going with God, but you run your mouth all the time and you're a gossip and, and, and you're just, it's just like a spout, just whatever you think comes out, here's the deal. You don't really have that great relationship with God. That, that's the summary of what James says. It's pretty stout. You see, we must learn to slow down our mouth so that we can listen to God. We need to speed up our ears. We need to slow down our mouths. Thirdly, we need to slow down our anger, and there's a huge connection between my mouth and my anger, and your mouth and your anger, and vice versa. The text says, 
be slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. We must slow down our anger. Proverbs 16, verse 32 says, Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. King Solomon said, let me tell you what I'd rather have. I'd rather have someone who can control his temper than somebody that can can single-handedly overthrow a city. Because you talk about strength, you talk about something valuable as the person that can control their anger. Alexander the Great was one of the few men in history who seemed to deserve his descriptive title. His, he was energetic, he was versatile, and he was intelligent. Although hatred was not generally part of his nature, he was, he was usually fairly even killed. Several times in his life, he was tragically defeated by his own anger. The story is told on, uh, of one of these occasions when a dear friend of Alexander, a general in his army, became intoxicated and began to ridicule the emperor in front of his men. Blinded by anger and quick as lightning, Alexander snatched a spear from the hand of a soldier and hurled it at his friend. And although he only had intended to scare the drunk friend, his aim was true and the spear took the life of his childhood friend. Deep remorse followed his anger. Overcome with guilt, Alexander attempted to take his own life with that same spear, but he was stopped by his men. For days, he lay sick, calling for his friend and chiding himself as a murderer. You see, Alexander the Great conquered many cities and vanquished many countries, but he had failed miserably to control his own anger. Never underestimate the power of your own anger. Be on guard to slow down your anger. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 9 says, Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. The picture, and I don't don't think this is actually what the proverb writer would have in mind, but the picture that came to mind as I read that is, it's either like a lap dog, Anger just hops up in your laps and lays. Or it's like, it's like you kind of make it like one of your kids. Fools, this is what they do. They make it like one of your kids. They just welcome it right into their lap in the evenings. And, and, and they, they, they embrace it. They just say, oh, come have a seat. You know, hop up, on, hop up on my lap. Hang out with me. Fools do that, Proverbs says, with anger. Do we ever boast of our anger? Do we ever... Actually, do you ever feel proud that we get mad? That we let it fly? Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Be slow to anger, James says. We must learn to slow down our anger so that we can listen to God. The connection between our tongues, our mouths, and our anger, it's, it's, it's almost like a vicious circle, isn't it? Isn't it true that when you get mad, the more you talk, the madder you get? I mean, you know what? Here's the deal. I like to listen to me because I'm right. Especially when I'm mad. 
If you don't believe me, just ask me. I'll explain it to you. The reasons that I'm exactly right and justified in my anger. And as a matter of fact, have you ever said, how many, how many times do you say this when, you, when something ticks you off? The more I think about it, the matter I get. In fact, I, you, now that I'm talking to you about this and explaining this to you, I mean, I, man, I'm not, I haven't been mad enough. I mean, I need to escalate. I need to take it up to another level because, I mean, this was just so wrong. And we just talk ourselves into a frenzy. And we get madder, and then we keep talking, and we get more mad. And, and it's just a circle. And, and, and if you've got the, that kind of friend that's not really helpful in your life that comes alongside and, and, and says, yeah, you're right, and just cheers you on, I mean, then you've got a colossal mess. I mean, you got, it's epic. I mean, you, you'll never get out of that circle, right? With the help of a friend. <laughs> Lesson, you need a friend that will tell you the truth, right? Pull you out of those times. We must slow down our anger and slow down our tongue so we can listen to God. Fourthly, the text tells us we need to clean out our ears. You say, Chad, I, I didn't see nothing about ears in this text. Well, let me show you where the ears are. It says in, 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 the, in the text, Therefore, because the, the anger of man... Let's back up and uh, about miss that little part. Because, verse 20, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Just a, uh, one, just a quick comment on that. You can just be sure. When we fly off at the handle, we're not the witness of Christ that we need to be. You can try to dig something out of the Bible and figure out how to be righteously angry. Here's the deal. Just, just, just take this as a rule of thumb. I'm not saying you couldn't ever be righteously angry, but I'm just saying you're probably not going to be when you try to be. Okay? Everybody okay with that? And we're to hate sin. There's times when, we, when, when something happens, there, there is a righteous anger. But here's, I'm telling you, man, the, the line is so thin between righteous and unrighteous anger in our hearts, in our fallen state. Christ was righteously angry when he drove out the money changers from the temple. Just the best rule of thumb is to just figure what James says. The anger of man does not work the righteousness that God desires. called to live in our trials in a way that, that strengthens our faith. James says, count it all joy when you fall into trials because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance, when, if you let it have its work, it'll make you mature and complete. It's through the exercise of difficulty where our faith is tested and we learn to listen to God and respond not in bitterness and anger, but in, hum in humility, as we'll see in a minute, in humility and submission to Him. That's how God changes us. But if anger takes over, if we react to our trials with bitterness and anger, if we react to others with bitterness and anger, then and that trial has turned in, suddenly turned into a temptation and we failed the test because we've given into the sin of anger and the righteousness that God wanted to bring out of that trial. The purification process, the, 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 the purifying of the gold of our faith that he wanted to accomplish, it can't happen because you've derailed the train with anger. Now, therefore... 
get rid. Because that's true. Because anger ruins what God wants to happen in your life and doesn't bring righteousness. Therefore, you need to clean out your ears. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Some translations talk about the abundant wickedness, the the overflowing uh, evil that's in us. And James is saying, get rid of it. In fact, when he says, get rid of all moral filth, the word for filth here is used of literal earwax. There's the ears. There's your spiritual ears in the text. And it shows us that sin is, is like spiritual earwax that clogs up our hearing when God speaks. One commentator said, an unwillingness to listen, a sinful tongue, and unrighteous anger are all moral evils. And in the context, they're the particular ones to which he refers in verse 21 when he says, get rid of all these things. That the ones that he refers to are the ones he just mentioned. An unwillingness to listen, a sinful tongue, unrighteous anger, they're all moral evils. And an angry spirit is never a listening, teachable Spirit, And so we must get rid of all those things. We've got to throw them off. We've got to, we've got to, we've got to clean out our spiritual ears. You've got to get the wax out of our ears. We've got to get the sin out of our heart so we can hear the voice of God when he speaks through his word. We must work to constantly clean out our spiritual ears so that we can listen to God. Speed up your ears, slow down your mouth, slow down your anger, and clean out your ears. We're getting ready to listen to God. And the fifth thing this morning is just that. To listen to God, to hear from God, we've got to take in His Word. Once we've sped up our ears, slowed down our mouths, slowed down our anger, and cleaned out our ears, we're ready to hear from God. We're primed to take in God's Word and hear His voice as He speaks to us in the Scriptures. The text says in verse 21, And humbly accept the Word planted in you which can save you. You see, humility is the posture of a good and true listener. And if, you'll, if you believe you need to hear from God, then what you'll do is what James has told us. You'll slow down your mouth, you'll slow down your anger, and you'll humble yourself before an open Bible. And by the way, doing all these things we've been talking about thus far prepares you to open the Bible and hear from God. But let me tell you something else. It'll work in the other direction too. If you're struggling with your tongue and if you're struggling with anger, opening the Word and getting, even in your pride and your anger, getting before an open Bible will humble your heart and shut your mouth and calm and cool your anger. Amen? Amen? Right? Have you ever been there? Have you ever done that? You know that last song we sang? I'm telling you. I'm telling you. The best remedy for all of our sin problems is a fresh hearing and application of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't need to be told what not to do. You already know. But what you do need to hear is that God loved you enough to die, send his son to die for what you just did or what you're doing. 
And he rose again to give you victory over that. And that fresh preaching of the gospel to yourself, it will, it will give you power to change. And so sometimes when, you're, when, when you don't want to read the Bible, read the Bible. When you don't want to pray, pray. When anger's just coursing through your veins and, and you're about to get out of control and your mouth's uh, off the chain, go to the Word. Get with God. He'll walk you through this, maybe even backwards, by His grace and through His Word. Deuteronomy 32, verse 47 says of God's Word, they are not just idle words for you. They are your life. By them, by the words of the living God in Scripture, you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So Moses told the Israelites. Do those words describe your relationship to God's Word? Do those words, these are not just idle words for you, they are your life. Do those words describe your relationship to your copy of the book? Your Bible. Do they? Do you live every day like this book is not just a book you pull out to bring to church on Sunday so think, folks think you actually do something with it, but you actually use it every day. You, you love it. You depend on what's in here for life. You don't think you can get through a Monday without the Word of God. Does that describe your, your relationship to this book? You see, it should. Because Jesus said in John 17, even as he prayed for us, sanctify them, Father, by the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them, change them, make, me more, make them more like us. Jesus talking to his Father. Make them more like me. Make them more like yourself, Father. And we know how you'll do it. You'll do it by the truth. And the word is the truth. Father, you're going to take the Bible in 2017 and changed people's lives at East LJ and you're going to sanctify them by the Bible, by their daily application and interaction with the text of Scripture. Jesus prayed that for you. He prayed that would happen this year for you. Isn't that amazing? He really did. Sanctify them, all who ever believe in him. Sanctify them by the word. Your word, Father, is truth. You see, this is what James means in verse 21 when he says the word can save you. He's talking in particular in verse 21 about our sanctification, our being changed more into the likeness of Christ. Verse 18, he's talking about our salvation, how, how, how we've been born again by the word of truth. Here he transitions and he says, you need, to let the, you need to humbly accept the implanted word. When did the word get implanted? It got implanted at our new birth, when Jesus came to live in our hearts. And now when he let that word that implanted itself in our hearts and, and saved Saved us from sin's penalty. We need to let have its way in our lives so that we can overcome sin's power and it can save, that is, sanctify, change, transform us. You see, if our sanctification depends on the truth of God's Word, and it does, then we must be in the Word daily. Your health depends on what you eat and drink. And unless you're fasting for some... <laughs> Un, other than prayer, unknown and crazy reason. Um, <laughs> I don't like to fast. <laughs> I like to eat. You eat every day, right? 
You drink water every day. Your body needs that. Then if, if you believe you need that to live, then you'll be in the Word every day. Does your time in the Word prove that you believe Jesus' statement about the way God will make you more like Jesus? Or are you more like the ones Jesus described in Luke 8, verse 13, where he said, those on the rocky ground, talking about the seeds sown on rocky ground, are the ones who receive the Word with joy when they hear it. Nothing like a good sermon. Love to hear a good sermon, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, isn't that interesting? They fall away. What is James telling us? James is telling us that listening to God through his word in the time of testing is where we need to get to. Jesus said, there are those who hear the word and, man, they, they get excited. Man, what, man, what a sermon. I, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, amen, preacher. I'm all about that. Or maybe you just had a jam-up Sunday school lesson or, or you, you're going down the road and you hear a podcast and, 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 and you're just all excited about the word of God, but then the time of testing comes and when you need to apply what you've heard, Nothing. You get ticked off and you get out of it. Somehow you avoid the trial. You, you say, man, I'm, I'm not going through that. I'm, I'm checking out. I know trusting God would lead me through the fire, but I'm missing the fire. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go this route. I'm, I'm not going to go there. And you miss the opportunity for the seed of the word to grow in you and, and strengthen you and carry you through that trial. And all your joy and all your excitement about the message and the sermon you heard, Sunday school lesson you had, it's, it's worthless. Unless it matters when the rubber hits the road and the Word of God is brought to bear on your circumstances and your decisions, your thoughts, your actions. You see, you must take in God's Word. It's like Paul said in Romans 12, verse 2, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? is elementary, my dear Watson. I mean, how, how do you do it? Do you just sit around and, and think good thoughts? Is that what that means? Do you have the power to renew your own mind? Not apart from the book. You do. You can, you can get it done because you've got the book. You renew your mind by the word of the living God. Tell you what you do. If you, stay, if, if you try to change the way you think without the word of God involved, it'll never happen, Right? If, you, if, you're, if, if, if I'm left to myself in the middle of a trial where I'm struggling with anger and running my mouth about how terrible things are, guess where I'm going to end up? If I just stay in my own little pea brain, deeper in anger, running my mouth more, I mean, I'm not going to get out of that. I've got to have his word and his thoughts brought into my situation, brought into my mind, my heart, to have it renewed. And Paul says, then, when you renew your mind. You'll be transformed by the renewing your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And what that means is that even in a trial, you'll be able to look at your circumstances and say, I don't like this. Who likes to be in the crucible of suffering, the crucible of testing, with the fire turned up underneath your life? Nobody likes it. But, but you can be in a place through the word of God to where you look at it and you say, God, thank you count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Thank you for what you're doing in my life through these circumstances. 
I pray if, it, if, it, if there's any way that it, that it ends soon. But in the meantime, I want to be faithful, God, because I see what you're doing. I see how you're changing me. I see how you're growing me in my faith and my trust in you, and I, and I want to grow. And the Word of God can help you get there. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, Paul said, All Scripture is God-breathed. It's the very breath of God, breathed out by God through men, and is useful. Some translations have profitable. It's worth something. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, every single situation where your faith is tested and you need to learn to stand and stand firm when it hurts to the glory of God. The Word of God. It's his very breath. And because it's his breath, it's useful. It will do for you. It'll empower you in the way that you need. Maybe you've started to read the Bible this month, January, time of resolutions. You've started off on the right foot. You made sure to get up on day one and start reading your Bible. Maybe you're reading the Bible through. Maybe you've just resolved to have a, a daily time with God and his word. I just want to encourage you as your pastor, stay at it. If you did that this year and, and, and you hadn't been in that habit, good for you. Let me encourage you. Stay at it. Do it on the mornings you don't feel like doing it. Do it when, when, when you've got to pick between the gym and, 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 and the Word of God. Do the Word of God. You weren't going to lose that many pounds at the gym that morning anyway. Don't let other things distract you. Or keep you from your t daily time of listening to God. There is no one you need to hear from more urgently than God himself. Your father himself. And hear me, he wants to speak. He's spoken right here in the pages of this book. And in the life, death, and resurrection of his son. He wants, he wants to talk to you today. He wants to talk to you tomorrow morning. He wants you to hear his voice. We must discipline ourselves to regularly take in the Word of God. In Amos chapter 8, verses 11 through 13, God speaks there to his people. And he says, the days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the Word of the Lord. People will stagger, get the picture, from sea to sea and wander from north to east searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. In that day, the lovely young women and the strong young men will faint because of thirst. Thirst for water? No. Thirst for the word of the living God. You see, God was about to go silent for 400 years before the coming of Christ. And the prophets were not going to have any anything to say, no, no message from God for, for 400 years before Jesus came and there was going to be a famine for the hearing of the word of God and, and people were going to hunger for the word of God, hunger to hear the voice of God, their God speak to them. You see, there's a famine of the word of God all across the church in America today, but hear me, it's not because God doesn't have anything to say. It's not because God's gone silent. The famine of the Word of God among God's people today is due to the fact that we refuse to open the book. 
and hear for ourselves God's ultimate and final word. What God has said once and forever in the word, the living word of his own son Jesus Christ, whose life, death, and resurrection and all that they mean is herein described in this book. It's not a famine because God has nothing to say. He's spoken. It's a famine because we starve ourselves. We created the famine. And we stagger around wondering why life with Jesus is so hard. And why we can't get more victory in our lives and our struggles. Because, but the whole time with our Bible closed at home somewhere. That's why. That's why. Listening to God's voice is hard. But crucial. Especially in tough times. Can you just imagine with me for a moment? I like, to, I like to think about what my life could look like. Can you imagine how your life would be different if you were slow to speak, slow to get angry, and quick to hear the Word of God day in and day out? What would be different in your life Take time. What would be different in your marriage? What would be different with your kids? What would be different on the job? What would be different with those neighbors? When you got to church, hey, let's just be real. When you got to church, what would be different with that person? They're here. (laughs) And you're that person for somebody else, right? What would happen different if we did this message? Can you imagine what our fellowship and consequent witness to our community would look like if we kept our tongues and our tempers and gave our hearts ear to the Word of God more consistently and intensely? What would it look like? How are you doing listening to God? It's tough, but it's crucial. But you can hear his voice by speeding up our ears slowing down our mouths slowing down our anger cleaning out our spiritual ears of of all the the anger and the pride and the unhelpful rhetoric of our own hearts so that then we can open God's word and take it in And watch it transform us. And all the while that we sit before an open Bible and allow the Word of God to wash us and clean us, Jesus himself lives in us by his Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and long-suffering. It's the opposite of anger. And you have Jesus living inside of you. I have him living inside of me. And he can empower me. His spirit can give me what I need not to lose my anger, lose my temper, and run my mouth, and and get so far from listening to God in my own pride. He's given us his spirit, and he's given us his word. And if we'll get before an open Bible, prayerfully dependent on the indwelling spirit of Jesus himself... He will change us. And when he does, all of a sudden, those fiery hot trials that he allows to come our way will begin to have their intended effect. And, and we'll go through those times of testing. 
And we'll come out the other side still standing firm in our faith in Christ, still shining bright as a witness, as a, as a positive testimony for the, for, 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 for the resurrection power of Jesus. The fact that we didn't lose our temper. We didn't run our mouths. And nobody around us can figure out how we pulled it off. The testimony will be, Jesus empowered me with the same power that raised him from the dead. He empowered me to overcome my anger. And I'm just telling you, I need resurrection power to overcome my temper sometimes. And here's the thing. I've got it. So do you. Will you use it? Will you live it out? You see, the radical grace of Jesus given to us through his life, death, and resurrection is very practical. And if we really understand his radical grace in the gospel, it will flesh out in very practical, everyday ways. And it'll be supernatural. It'll show the world something that nobody but God can produce. Let's pray.